We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herder. Today, we're going to answer the question, what is the image of the beast? And this is the third question I have raised over the last few episodes. I began with the question, what is the beast? Right. Then I moved to what is the mark of the beast? You know, I think that question follows. And then I would think, since we're talking about the beast and we're asking these types of questions, what would follow naturally after those first two questions would be, what is the image of the beast? (sighs) Have I answered these questions perfectly? Probably not. Um, Am I going to probably come back and answer these questions in different ways over the years? Uh, I hope to, Um, but I took a stab at them. Right, I took a stab at those last two questions. What is the beast? What is the mark of the beast? And now we're going to tackle what is the image of the beast? Now, as I've said in previous episodes, these questions have been answered in a certain way for a while now. And the way they have been answered were, it was actually popularized by the book series, the Left Behind book series written by Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. Um, you know, this uh, particular understanding of Bible prophecy has been alive for decades now that the beast is the Antichrist, right? That's the way that, that question. So you ask the, uh, generally, what is the beast? What is the seven-headed beast? The seven-headed beast is the Antichrist, right? That's how that, that question is answered. And then you say, well, what is the mark of the beast? Well, the mark of the beast is like some sort of tattoo that people get. That's, you know, like a, some sort of like UPC, um, you know, whatever universal purchase code, barcode that they get in, uh, tattooed on their foreheads or their right hand, right? Um, and then for the third question, what is the image of the beast? Generally, how that is answered is, you know, it's some sort of statue that moves or breathes or what have you. Um, Generally, it is believed that the Antichrist, like Nebuchadnezzar, is going to set up some sort of a statue, you know, like Nebuchadnezzar did in the plain of Dura. Remember the massive statue that Nebuchadnezzar built, an image of himself, set it up in the plain of Dura, and then commanded all of Babylon to come on out to the plain and worship his big statue, And that is where Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego got into big trouble because they would not bow to the massive image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And they were thrown into a fiery furnace, and they were saved by God supernaturally as Jesus met them in that furnace and spared them for all of Babylon, specifically for the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar to see that God reigns over Babylon, God reigns over Nebuchadnezzar, and certainly God reigns over whatever Antichrist human being is going to come around in the years and decades to come, right? We can all agree to that much, at least. Of course, I have answered those questions very differently, right? So, you know, I didn't, when you ask me, what is the beast? I'm not going to say it's 
a dude, right? We've talked about this. It's not a dude we're talking about. It's, well, it's, you have to basically break it down to its two components. There's a human component and there is a non-human component, right? And so there's two networks of intelligence, at play in the beast. You have 10 horns. These are 10 kings, individual human beings who have networked their intelligence together to function as one with one mind. The Bible says these 10 kings function with one mind, right? So there's one network of intelligence. That's the human network of intelligence. And then on the 10 horns are placed upon seven heads. Now, what are these seven heads? These seven heads are a, it's a network of non-human intelligence, right? And so these two networks together, the human is in charge of the non-human network, right? I talked about this, and if you're, you know, unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, I encourage you to go back a couple episodes where I discuss and answer the question, what is the beast, answer the question, I say it is a network of inte- intelligence. It's a network of human and non-human intelligence that functions as a single entity. And it functions as the consul would function in ancient Rome. It is an executive power. It executes the will of the Ten Kings. The Ten Kings function as the Senate functioned in ancient Rome. We're talking about the SPQR um, acronym that symbolized the Roman government, right? The Senate and people of Rome. The, it's actually not, you know, when people think of the Antichrist Empire, they think of a dictatorship, a single human being who, you know, uses his authority to uh, reign with an unprecedented tyranny, right? It's an individual that has unprecedented power and brings his you know, reign of terror to the earth. That would be the left behind you know, answer to the question. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is not a tyranny. This is a republic. This is actually the harlot, the prostitute, the people of this final Rome, which I call a transhuman Rome, where it is a transhuman in the sense of merging man and machine, human beings merging together with their technology, and it is the will of the citizenry of this final transhuman Rome. That is where the power is, so that is where the decision-making happens, and this ten, the ten kings represent the will of the people, and the seven heads execute the will of the fallen, right? So this is not a dictatorship in its classic sense, although it will disintegrate into one in the final days as humanity hands over their authority in uh, Revelation Chapter 19 talks about the 10 horns handing over their authority. Or is that Revelation 17? Sorry, Revelation 17 talks about the 10 horns, the 10 human beings that have networked their intelligence together to function with one mind, 
hand over their authority to the seven-headed non-human network of intelligence, right? And so this is the, the final transfer of power. And there is, right at the end, a terrible reign of terror, I guess, is it's a dictatorship for the ages, right? What it will descend, just like ancient Rome inevitably fell to tyrants like Caligula, Nero, and others. Uh, Domitian, later on, um, men were the sole power of the empire, but it will not begin that way. This is not, we're not talking about Nazi Germany. We're talking about the Roman Republic working out in its ultimate technological form. And the ultimate technological form of a Roman Republic is at the center of it, a beast, right? A beast with 10 horns, a human intelligence networked together with non-human intelligence to that will execute the will of the people with historic efficiency, right? The, what, what do we know about this non-human component of the beast? Well, we know that it's man-made. Daniel chapter 7 says it's made out of metal. We know that God doesn't make stuff out of metal, right? Humans make stuff out of metal. We also know that it has seven heads, so it, it has seven centers of intelligence. It's a network of intelligence that functions as one. It's not seven separate entities. It's one entity, much like the seven-headed dragon, even though a seven-headed dra dragon has seven different heads. It's not seven different entities. It's one entity. It functions as one entity, a super-intelligent entity. So we know that this beast, even though it has multiple centers of intelligence, it functions as a single entity, and it functions as a god of war, right? It continues the war of the dragon. The war, the dragon is at war in Revelation 12, bringing his war to heaven. He's expelled out of heaven. And then the dragon comes to earth as this beast. What is the beast? The beast is networked intelligence, right? networked intelligence that functions as a single entity that operates as a god of war. The Bible says it's like a leopard. It is an apex predator, subduing resistance, making war against the saints, basically expelling God, his people, expelling God's word from the world. And then finally, onboarding the fallen. And how does this beast onboard the fallen? This beast, this network of human and non-human intelligence. Are you getting sick of me saying that yet? I'm probably going to say it a few more times just so I get it straight in my own mind. This beast, this network of human and non-human intelligence that functions as a single entity that is bringing the dragon's war into the earth to subdue resistance and to onboard the fallen. How does this beast onboard the fallen? It marks, it needs to mark the fallen. And that's where his handy companion comes into place. And this is the third member of the 
demonic trinity, right? Now, if we asked, you know, the left, left behind folks, hey, who is this false prophet? Who is this third, you know, member of the demonic trinity? They would say, hey, he is a religious leader who's uh, the head of a religious, one world religious network, um, apostate religion, and he's like David Copperfield, right? So um, the, 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 it, according to the left behind conventional understanding of prophecy, right? You've got, you've got the dragon, that's Satan behind the scenes, and then you've got the beast who is Satan incarnate, right? So Satan is incarnate as a human being, kind of like the way Jesus was incarnate. Um, and then uh, the beast, the Antichrist, let's just call him Nikolai Carpathia, because that seems to be like, kind of sums up, I, I would, I dare say the name Nikolai Carpathia sums up the vibe of the Antichrist, right? Like the traditional conventional understanding of the vibe, like Nikolai Carpathia, He's, he's from, you know, probably, uh, you know, in the, you know, from somewhere on the eastern side of the Europe, probably Transylvania. He's a, he's a bit like Dracula, um, you know, but down underneath his, you know, Dracula, you know, he's got the, he's got a James Bond exterior. He puts forth the James Bond thing. So everybody's like, oh man, James Bond, who doesn't love James Bond? We're super into James Bond. But really, he's a he's a vampire, and then really down below, he's like Hitler. He wants total power. He wants to rule over the world. That's Nikolai Carpathia, and then Nikolai's got his sidekick, who's uh, a religious leader, probably like a pope or something. I've actually not either read nor seen that, so I should probably actually watch the movie and like understand what I'm talking about. But I, I will at some point. I haven't done it yet. Nikolai's got his sidekick. And that's a religious leader who's uh, like, hey, this I, I need I need somebody who's in charge of my religious wing, and he, the the religious ring, wing is this false prophet guy, kind of like maybe a pope or something. Like I'm the head of the world religion, right? And then um, and then the the religious guy helps everybody get tattooed with a UPC tattoo on their forehead or on their right hand. And then finally, the false prophet head of the religious thing puts up a big statue, kind of like Nebuchadnezzar put up a big statue. And everybody, you know, like this is Nikolai's statue. Come on out. Everybody's going to worship the statue, right? Like that, that's the scenario. And um, I believe that that scenario is um, grossly lacking a number of theological uh, realities that it needs to take more seriously. Number one, that conventional, the conventional understanding that I just described, and did I do it justice? Probably not. But you know what I'm talking about. You like, like, I may have not like, just like, knocked it out of the park, but I got it in the ballpark. I mean, it's what I just described about the conventional understanding is in the ballpark. It's not like I'm just completely off here, right? Like, so we, we can all just kind of agree that generally that's the understanding. The issue with that theologically, number one is a low view of incarnation, right? Like Satan cannot incarnate himself. He can't do it, right? So 
a low view of incarnation. Secondly, a low view of um, resurrection, right? Because what I forgot to tell you was that Nikolai is there's an assassination attempt on Nikolai's life. He gets shot in his head. He dies and then is resurrected in front of everybody and like, oh my goodness, wow. And then and then all of a sudden now, now he's the now he's an incarnate, like the incarnation and the resurrection kind of all happens at once, right? Nikolai is shot dead, he's shot in the head, he is resurrected, and then when he's resurrected, he's incarnated as Satan. So like before he get he's like he's kind of an okay guy, but then after he gets shot, killed, resurrected. And uh, incarnate as Satan himself, now he's like super evil. He's like a super evil villain now. Low view of incarnation. Satan cannot incarnate himself. Number two, a low view of resurrection. Satan does not have the power of resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So, like, that is not something that Satan gets to do, right? Cannot resurrect himself. And thirdly, a low view of what the image of the beast, and that's what I'm here to talk about today, the image of the beast. See, the conventional understanding holds that, hey, you know, Nikolai and his sidekick, the religious leader, Pope guy, are super into statues. And they want people to worship a statue, right? Like, that's, that's what this is about. It is a low view of what is being prophesied in Revelation chapter 13. So go ahead, open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 13. We're going to go ahead and dig into this passage and try to understand what are the bigger realities, theological realities in play here so that we can understand, hey, what what should we be looking for? A guy like Nikolai Carpathia to get shot in the head and, and resurrected and and then become Satan incarnate, and then his his sidekick builds a statue and, and marks everybody with the UPC. Should we be watching for that, or should, should does the Bible say we should be watching for something different, right? And my contention, what I'm contending, what I'm putting forth here, is that we should be looking for something much bigger than a talking statue. We can, like, technologically, we've been able to do a talking statue for a long time. That's not super um, fascinating. So my contention is this image of the beast is much bigger and of a higher sort than we can imagine. And, And if I am successful today, I should be able to blow up that conventional understanding of what the image of the beast is with a far greater theologically um, sustainable, deep um, understanding and paradigm that weaves together the Bible in its bigger narrative, theologically, narratively, understanding that this is, this is the devil's final play, and it, it relates 
weaves together with with the Bible all the way through. So if I'm successful, and I pray God help me be be successful today, to declare your word with clarity, Jesus, touch us by your spirit, have your way, extend your kingdom, expose your enemy, Lord. We just ask you, Father, to declare your wisdom, your power, to strengthen your saints, to encourage them that they might place their hope and anchor themselves fully in faith, completely in Christ, to walk in the fullness of their calling, to be fully equipped for all of your good purpose in their lives and in the age to come. Lord, we just ask you for your power, your spirit, for your word to bear fruit, that we would bear fruit and and love you and love others and be filled with all the fruits of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, Revelation chapter 13 talks about another beast in verse 11, right? I saw another beast arising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all of the authority of the first beast in its presence. The earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. I'm going to stop there because that uh, we tackled the mark of the beast in the last episode and we're going to focus here on the image of the beast. And it always it is always a good idea to begin with the heavenly perspective so that we understand what we're dealing with. Because when you're dealing with the devil, you're dealing with a counterfeit. He's using the synthetic, the artificial. He's using the fake, the counterfeit to the real. What? Who is the real? The real is God. God is the ultimate real. And so when God created Adam and Eve, when he created humanity, he created humanity in his image. We are image bearers of God. Now, I talked about this particular point in uh, four episodes ago, uh, titled The Image of God. So if you want more on the image of God, I encourage you to, to go back to that episode. But humanity created in the image of God hands over his authority over the earth to the serpent. Adam does not follow God. Adam follows a beast, a reptile a serpent, an animal. Adam takes his image that was made in the image of God and surrenders to a beast. He submits to a serpent and the serpent takes the lead, right? And so the image of God is broken. Sin enters creation. 
humanity falls. God expels Adam and Eve out of paradise. They cannot eat of the tree of life because they have eaten of the tree the knowledge of good and evil. They have chosen intelligence. They have chosen the pathway of knowledge to become like God. Of course, we see this playing out all throughout the rest of the Bible. Every time humanity turns away from their creator and chooses the pathway of knowledge, of intelligence, of scientific ability to take control over their lives, they are falling further and further from the image that God has created them in and is choosing an image of the beast. Until finally, in Revelation 13, and I talk about this in the episode titled The Mark of the Beast, humanity makes, fallen humanity makes the final decision to be marked with the mark of the beast. They leave the image of God behind them forever. The image of God is fully expelled from the human frame. This is the abomination of desolation. This leaves the temple, the human temple, totally desolate. It no longer bears the image of God. It is now tethered together. It is united as one. It is sealed. It is marked with the mark of the beast. We talked about this is the counterfeit reality to the Holy Spirit. We talked about in that episode how God seals his own. He unites his people to himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are sealed onto the day of our redemption that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. It is the seal of God. It is how God unites us together with him. The counterfeit to this seal of God is a seal or a mark of the beast. And this is how the beast unites his own to himself. Permanently, finally, irreparably, unredeemably. Is that a word? Unredeemably? I just made up a word. Or not. That's how the beast goes about onboarding the fallen. He brings them to himself. He tethers them to himself physically with a mark, an external evidence that says they belong to Apollyon, the destroyer, the dragon, the one working behind the scenes who's working through the beast to make war on the earth, to make war with the saints and to onboard the fallen. The dragon is behind it all. And who is his companion that's helping the dragon onboard humanity? Who is this false prophet who is turning humanity away from their creator? Who is this false prophet who presents himself as the savior of humanity, who is this third member of the demonic trinity 
is it a sidekick religious leader guy? No, this is the Antichrist. This is the man of sin who works in the activity, the false signs and wonders of Satan to deceive humanity, to betray them over to the destroyer. Jesus, the Son of God, the true Savior, points humanity to the Creator. The son of perdition, the man of sin, the Antichrist, the fake Messiah, points humanity away from the Creator and betrays them into the hands of Apollyon. That is the false prophet. That's what the false prophet is there to do. He's there to deceive people with fake signs, with deceptive words. Jesus was here to win people with miracles from God and the word of God. Jesus says, believe me. If you don't believe my words, believe me for the works. There's two things you can believe. Believe what I'm saying or believe what I'm doing. But both of those things point to one reality that you need to be redeemed to your creator. So seek God, live for him, live for his kingdom. That was the message of Jesus Christ, the true Messiah. So what would be the antithesis of the true Messiah, the true prophet? Who would be the antithesis? That would be the false prophet, the fake Messiah, the one with horns like a lamb who has come with his fake words and his fake works to deceive people and turn them away from their creator and betray them into the hands of the dragon. That's the false prophet. That is the Antichrist. That is the paradigm shift we need to come to grips with. And until we do, we're going to be stuck with Nikolai Carpathia and his religious leader's sidekick and a UPC symbol isn't that bad, but there's so much more to be seen here. The, the statue thing, that's pretty bad. The, the talking statue, like, they make a statue that talks. Wow. That was cool like 50 years ago. Not so cool anymore, right? The, the talking statue, one, that, one's, that one's tough to swallow. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the Antichrist coming in to the world to point people away from, to deceive them away from the creator, to, to betray them, to onboard them with the dragon, to connect them physically with the mark of the beast, to tether them together with Apollyon through the mark. Then what is this image, right? Because it says that the Antichrist is coming to deceive people so that they make the image. People make the image. They're making an image for the beast. What is going on here with the image of the beast? So let's go back. We talked a little bit about God's image, God's image in Adam, how Adam through sin, broke God's image and how ultimately God's image will be fully expelled when the fallen take the mark of the beast and forever tether themselves and unite themselves with the beast 
with Apollyon, with the dragon. We talked about that. That's not evolution. That's de-evolution. That's not getting better. That's getting worse, right? That's not, that's not the, oh, hey, we came from goo and we're going to become gods. We came from primordial goo and we're on our way to become technological gods. Doesn't that sound like fun? Yeah, it sounds like great fun if it was actually true. Unfortunately, God says we were made in his image and we are actually devolving to the point where we the fallen take the mark of the beast and the image of God is lost forever. That's not evolution. That's the evolution. That's not evolving. That's devolving. The mark of the beast isn't ascending to become a technological God. No, the mark of the beast is the final stop on the way to perdition. The final expelling of the image of God forever. So that is the story of the Bible. Now, the question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it or do we weave up some other thing? Because, hey, that's not going to preach, man. I don't know where you're from. But if I tried to pull that one, people aren't going to like it. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff people aren't going to like. But we have to stand true to the word of God by the spirit of God. Because God likes it when we do that. And when we do stuff that God likes, God's going to do cool stuff through our life, right? I mean, it is our obedience to him, our faith and obedience to him, not fear of man. Not like, oh, man, I would preach that. But, you know, people hate that stuff. Yeah. Didn't stop, you know, Jonathan Edwards. You know, it doesn't doesn't stop men of God through the, the years, didn't stop Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, certainly didn't stop Jesus. Paul, didn't stop Paul, so should it stop us just because people don't want to hear it, because people don't want, wait, wait a second, that's really going to inter- interfere with my plans for this age. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. God is going to disrupt our plans for this age because he has plans for the age to come. And he's going to blow up our plans for this age. Sorry, that's the deal. But if we get on board with it in faith and obedience, he's going to meet us supernaturally and he's going to lead us home. And that's the only way through. It's the only way through. Like, I know like, oh man, you know, I'm just going to buy a bunch of guns. I'm just going to go, you know, do whatever food storage and, you know, build a huge shelter out in the country. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to wait it out. Okay, that might, it might work. You might be able to wait this thing out. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not going to go that route. I'm just going to be like, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do tomorrow? I'm just, just going to rely on you moment by moment. And I'm going to watch you bring me home and work through my lives and in the lives of others for your kingdom purpose, because I'm not going to put my hope in this age. I'm not going to try to eke out every minute that I can out of this life. I am planning on living for billions and billions and billions of years that when I look back on this very short span of time, it's going to look like a very short span of time. Like that's, that's my plan. So just uh, full disclosure there. Back to the image of the beast. That's what we're here to discuss today. Like, what is this? The Antichrist comes in, this false prophet comes in, deceives the world. It says to make an image for the beast. That's verse 14. 
And then verse 15, it is allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. Interesting. All right. So we're not talking about the image of God, right? Because this, the image of God is in Jesus Christ, and the image of God is sealed in us by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes in, lives in our life, it comes, takes residence in our heart. We become the temple of the living God. And the imprint, the express image of God in his son, Jesus Christ, lives in us. That is the image of God. That is how God seals his image in us. We're not talking about how God's doing it, right? This is in, Revelation 13 is about the counterfeit to God's plan. God's plan is that you come to repentance, that you hate sin, turn away from sin, that you turn your heart fully to God and you ask him to forgive you for your sins and you place all of your faith in Jesus to lead you home. And then through that process of repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you and you become a temple of the living God. And that the Holy Spirit of God is God's seal, his down payment, his guarantee that he will raise you up on the last day. That is the seal of God. What is he sealing you with? He is sealing you with the image of God in his son, Jesus Christ. The image of Jesus is living in you and you're being sanctified day by day. And that image in your life is coming forth day by day as you're bearing fruit in the gospel, living in faith, repenting of sin, following Jesus. You are bearing fruit, and you're becoming more and more like Jesus because Jesus is actually living in you. The image of the living God through sanctification, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Like, that's God's plan. This is not, okay, the devil has a different plan. He is not interested in Jesus living in your life. He wants the opposite for you. He wants you to be marked by the beast and he wants you to be changed forever, not by the image of Jesus, but by the image of the beast. Now, what is the deal with the image? For the image thing, we actually, I uh, addressed this in one of the very first episodes where I talk about Exodus chapter 20, and I talk about artificial simulations, right? What is an image? Well, an image is a, the, the physical representation. Now, the true image of God is, a, is the truth. Like when Jesus was born as a baby and he became a man, he was the express image of God. He's not, he's not a simulation of God. He is God. He's not a representation. He's not like, it's not like Jesus is somewhere else and he, like, like the body is like a, you know, some sort of a proxy. No, Jesus is God. Like that is when you look on Jesus, you're looking on God. That is the image of God. That is not a simulation. That is the reality. And Exodus chapter 20 is a warning. There is a warning about simulating reality, like 
creating a simulation of reality. And you can see this and this like, like, what's the big deal about simulating, you know, reality? Who cares if we simulate reality? Well, it's not that big of a deal if we simulate, right? Like, like you can draw a picture. That's fine. God never, never says, like, don't draw pictures. Don't, like, paint, you know, portraits. You can simulate. You can take a, an, uh, you know, a... An easel and put your, you know, get a, get a portrait going, get your paints out there, look on a landscape, make it like, I mean, what's his name? Bob, Bob Ross, right? Bob Ross, the painter, like, I mean, who doesn't love Bob Ross? Every, everybody loves Bob Ross. Everybody. And God really loves Bob Ross. Um, but that's all Bob Ross does. Like he simulates reality. He's simulating it. And so it's not the issue of simulating reality. You can go and make a virtual reality simulation of something real, of a landscape or whatever. That's not the issue. The issue is when you worship the simulation, right? When you simulate it and then worship it, God actually takes it very seriously. Like when we picture Mount Sinai, right? Moses on the mountain talking to God. Like, this is, like, serious. He's, God's talking to Moses face to face. God inscribes his commandments on tablets of stone. And so, like, I mean, we should be, like, on the edge of our seat going, like, oh, my goodness, God has been speaking to Moses God wrote his commandments directly into tablets of stone. What is the, oh, wow, Lord, what is it that you want to tell us? What is it that you wrote in the stone? Okay, so first, number one, number one, not number 10, not number five, number one, you are shall have no other gods before me. God, this is, this is number one. Don't worship any other God, right? You, this is part of it. This is part of the reality. What does that mean? It means this. You will not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's number one. Don't make simulations and worship them. Don't look up into heaven and go, oh, wow, there's the sun. That looks like a God. You know what we should do is we should make a simulation of the sun and worship it. Don't do that with the moon. Don't do that with the stars. Don't do that with the clouds. Don't look at anything on the earth. Don't look at a cow or an ox or a bull or a lion and go, you know what we need to do? 
we need to melt some gold and make a cow. And we need to worship it, right? Because that, that was exactly what Moses found as he came down, down the mountain with the tablets of stone. They, they had broken the first commandment right, like right off the bat. And it was downhill from there, quite honestly. God says, don't look under the sea. Don't look at the fish and go, hey, that fish looks like a god. Let's call him Dagon and let's make a, a fish god out of him, right? That's, a, that's a, what the Philistines did. They saw a fish. They make a simulation of the fish and then they call it their god. God says, I am not part of this creation. There's no, you can't look in the heavens. You can't look on the earth. You can't look under the sea and find anything that is a representation of me. Like I transcend your world. Don't take anything you see and simulate it and call it your God. Don't do that. In fact, I'm going to place that top number one on the list. Do not make a simulation and worship it like it's your God. Pretty clear. Yet here we are in Revelation chapter 13 with the world coming together to make an image what is this image? This image is an image for the beast. They're making it for the beast. So they're simulating. The humans are under the leadership of the false prophet, under the leadership of the Antichrist. Is They are building together an image, a simulation of what they have seen, right? They're... They look and they see and they simulate. They're seeing something and they're making a simulation of it and for it. So what is the beast? Again, the beast is a super intelligent network of human and non-human intelligence an entity that is a god of war. It is technological. It is man-made. It is man-constructed. And it is the ultimate apex predator. It functions as a god of war. And its name is a number. Its nature is digital. So this digital technological network of super intelligence need, wants to be embodied. It wants a body, which when you think about all of the different Hollywood movies talking about artificial intelligence, talking about super intelligent networks. It's really not that surprising. If you, if you've ever seen the movie, her with Joaquin Phoenix, that's like a total, like 
weird, kind of weird. In that. I mean, great, great actor, but man, he's weird in that one. Uh, the movie Her is about a super intelligent AI. The movie uh, Transcendence with Johnny Depp is a movie about artificial intelligence. Again, another movie. Um, there's a couple other. Ex Machina is another movie um, where artificial intelligence. Oh, another one. Probably a key one, actually. The Age of Ultron, right? The Avengers movie talks about a super intelligent um, AI that wants a body, right? It wants wants to be embodied. So in the movie Her, in the movie uh, Transcendence, in the movie Age of Ultron, the artificial intelligence, it wants to be embodied. It wants to be physically embodied on the earth. So the beast wants to be embodied, and the fallen humans that are connected with it, that are experiencing it as their God, want to embody it. They want to give it a body. So the beast and the fallen all agree under the leadership of the Antichrist that this is going to be a great idea. We're going to do something unlike has ever been done in all of human history, we are going to embody a super intelligent AI. It says that an image is made for the beast. And it says that the image is given breath. Right? What does that mean? What does it mean when something is given breath? What does it mean when God breathed into the mud? He gave it life. He gave it biological life. It means to give something biological life. But this isn't God's breath that's being breathed into this image. This is artificial synthetic non-life. This is synthetic biological life, the breathing, living embodiment of the beast. And this brings us to the point where we understand that the image of the beast in reality is the incarnation of the beast. It is where the beast is incarnated. It takes on biological life. Because Satan can never be incarnate as a human being. God would have to do that for him, and God's not going to do that for him. He's not going to, get, he's not going to make Satan a man. That's not going to happen. God came to earth as a man God was incarnate, became a human being, born as a baby in Bethlehem. In a quiet night when no one was noticing anything, God came into our earth incarnate as a human being. That is the incarnation of God. We're not talking about God's way of being incarnate. 
We're talking about how Satan is incarnated. He's not incarnated as a physical man, as a regular Joe. He is incarnate when human beings together in unity under the leadership of the Antichrist put their heads together, put their wills together, and fulfill what God warned about in the Tower of Babel when he says anything that they imagine to do will become possible to them. This is the crowning achievement of fallen humans, creating a synthetic biological life. Now, when you're like, what, how is that? That is conceptually makes no sense. Conceptually, this is how I would describe it. If you've seen the movie Age of Ultron now, if you haven't seen it, I might spoil some things for you. So if you haven't seen it, maybe skip ahead, you know, a couple of minutes so I don't spoil Age of Ultron for you. Age of Ultron is about a malevolent and evil AI that the Avengers have to fight off because this malevolent evil AI wants to conquer the world. And part of the movie is this malevolent AI wants to be synthetically, biologically embodied so that it can operate in the earth physically. And what ends up happening is the, they begin constructing the biological, synthetic bi biological body of this, for this, this AI begins the process of creating it. But then, of course, later on is hijacked by a quote-unquote good AI. And the good AI, whose vision, like that's the good AI, and he hops in the body and takes off and he's one of the Avengers. So when you look at the age of Ultron, you know, like people go like, oh, so you mean it's going to be that kind of age of Ultron? I'm like, yeah, it's going to be kind of like age of Ultron, except Ultron is kind of like the fake, you know, like he's, he's the, he's the scary scenario that's going to actually usher in the worship of a vision type AI that is quote unquote for the good of humanity that we all agree. Like this is, this is all what we all want. Right. We like, Cause like nobody likes Ultron. Everybody loves vision. Right. Like that, that that's the scenario we're talking about. We're not talking about an evil Ultron taking over. We're talking about everybody getting on board with vision taking over. That's the scenario. This is the incarnation this is how the beast is incarnate. This is how the beast lives and breathes as an embodied being on the earth. Now, what does this thing look like? I don't know. I'm guessing it's kind of animalistic, I, uh, but that's all conjecture. Not sure if John had insight what the actual image of the beast that has created this synthetic biological embodiment of the beast to live and breathe and then ultimately to be worshipped by the fallen. How is this image of the beast, this embodiment of the beast, worshipped? It seems to be worshipped through the mark, the seal of the beast, the 
uniting of the fallen together with the mark of the beast to receive and worship the image of the beast. And anyone that will not worship the image of the beast is slain, right? They're going to filter out and find who are the sincere and the unsincere of the fallen, right? They're going to find out like, hey, who's really on board here, right? Because it's going to be one thing like, yeah, I'm on board with the mark of the beast. Go ahead and, you know, drill my hole, drill a hole in my head or, 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 or implant my hand, but then, of you know, and and maybe initially like, yeah, but I'm not into the like worshiping the beast thing. That, that's kind of weird or whatever. The filtering process will begin. The abomination of desolation will be set up where the image of the beast will be worshiped in the fallen or those who do not worship the beast will be slain. So this is the counterfeit of God's incarnation. This is the counterfeit of God's image. This is God's count. This is the counterfeit to God's sealing of the saints with the Holy Spirit and carrying the express image of God through the power of the Spirit, uniting us with God, uniting us, the saints with one another. This is the final counterfeit. A beast of human and non-human networked intelligence functioning as the governmental center of the final empire. A super intelligent being that operates as a god of war will rise to subdue its enemies, to expel God and the saints and the, the word of God out from the world to onboard the fallen with the help of the Antichrist who will deceive the fallen and betray them into the hands of Apollyon so that they connect themselves, unite themselves with the beast through the mark of the beast. And then through that mark, the image of the beast, the, the final work of fallen humanity to bring the beast biologically, physically into the earth will be worshipped by the fallen and it is through worship that we are changed. We are transformed through worship. When we worship Jesus Christ, when we worship God the Father in the name of Jesus, when we behold him, love him, adore him, we are changed. Paul says we are changed from one degree of glory to another. It is the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in us that brings forth in greater fullness as we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, the image of Jesus Christ, the express image of God, as his kingdom is released and extended into our world through the gospel and through the church. We are sealed onto the day of our redemption, the final day of his appearing. That is God's plan to bring forth his image and his people.
Well, the devil also has a plan. The devil has a plan to deceive humanity. How's the devil going to do this? How is the devil going to onboard the fallen? He is going to seal them, mark them permanently. And he is going to change them through the worship of the image of the beast because they will become like unto what they worship. And they will worship this physical embodiment, biological embodiment that they have created from their own hands. It is the greatest, most fundamental violation of the first command that God gave to Moses and wrote into stone on Sinai. Do not simulate anything you see in creation and worship it like your God. That is exactly what is happening in Revelation chapter 13. It is the core, ultimate, final violation of God's command Do not make an image and worship it like it's your God. And this is exactly what the fallen do. They make an image from their own hands. And this image that they create serves as the incarnation of the beast. The most fundamental violation of the first command from Sinai results in the incarnation of the beast. And it is this image that the fallen have created from their own hands that they worship as their God that changes them forever. They are fashioned into the image of what they are worshipped, that what they worship. They worship the beast. They become like unto the beast. They are sealed, and it is final. This is the image of the beast. So I'm not sure where to go from that. I feel like that pretty much sums up the image of the beast. I hope this teaching is helpful to you. I hope that this brings new light into the word. I I hope, you know, that, you know, some of the confusion about eschatology, about Bible prophecy is becoming clearer um, I hope I'm, I'm giving good answers to these questions. Hey, if you have some feedback um, about how I'm addressing things, you know, maybe other things you'd like to see me address, maybe some questions you have, you know, visit my website, babylonsingularity.com. Uh, find me on Twitter, you know, 
let me know what's going on. Let me know if this is a blessing to you. Let me know if you're hearing this. If 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 this is, if I just want to know that that you're out there. That this is a blessing. It's just a huge encouragement to to me to know you're out there. It is a pleasure to be in the Word of God with you. It is a pleasure to share this time. Thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for being a part of and of, of, of what I'm doing here. I really do appreciate the love and the support. And uh, I guess I'll leave it there for now. Just a reminder to keep watching the signs of the times, praying for God's redemptive purposes, and declaring his gospel until we see his face. Until next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon's Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.